Jesus, take all of me. Let my life be yours. Thank you, Matt and worship team. Thanks, Pastor Darren, uh, for the announcements and the prayer. If you're with us this morning for the first time, uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 13, the very last chapter of the book of Hebrews. So if you're joining us for the first time, uh, congratulations, you get to eat dessert first. Uh, For the rest of you, we've had a full meal, and Hebrews has been a lot of fun. And when we originally started to look and break the book of Hebrews up into preachable sections, uh, Darren and I actually took Hebrews 13, and we had it in one section. We were originally planning to preach the entire chapter, all 25 verses, in, in one sermon. And I'm really thankful that God shifted a few things around. And so um, you got the first part of chapter 13 last week. And this, this week we're finishing up the book of Hebrews. And honestly, when I first read this chapter, that's how I felt. I felt like it was all over the place. I was thinking the writer might need to cap up their dosage of of Adderall, maybe augment it with some Ritalin and some Concerta, maybe slap on a Daytrana patch or something, right? And some of you are going, why does our pastor know so much about ADHD medication? And some of you are going, yeah, that makes kind of sense to me. But honestly, this chapter looked like it was all over the place. Seriously, love each other, be hospitable to strangers, prison visitation, guard your marriage, watch your wallets, Old Testament quote, Jesus, ceremonial food, go outside the camp, Jesus, listen to your leaders, oh, and don't forget to pray, Jesus, say hi to Timothy, the grace of the God be with everyone, Jesus, okay, bye now. Like, some of you teachers have students that are like that, right? They're like squirrels all over the place. Kind of reads like someone caught a, a deadly disease and, and, and they know that they only have a short time left to live. And so they, they call in their sons to the hospital bed and try to cram in an entire lifetime of learning in a, just a few short moments, right? Love Jesus, love each other, love your mom, stay away from girls. Girls are bad news. Something like that. But then God just tells me that I need to breathe and I need to relax And God says to me, Nick, you don't actually have to preach everything that my text says. Now that may sound weird to your ears, but just think about it for a moment, okay? God's word says grasses fade and flowers wither, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Psalm 110, right? Isaiah 40, verse 8. God's word helps a young person live their lives and find the right pathway for their life. Psalm 119, verse 9. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words, Jesus' words, remain forever. Matthew 24, 35. And, and even one verse of scripture contains more beauty, more truth, and more depth than I could ever hope to plumb in an entire lifetime of sermons. I could literally preach Psalm 23, verse 1 to you for the rest of my life, and I still wouldn't plumb its depths. That's God's word. It is that deep. It is that amazing. It's living and it's active and it's powerful. And so God just said to me this week, he said, you know what, just, just breathe. Come sit down at the feet of Jesus and, and allow him, allow me to speak to you first, Nick. And then as I speak to you, I will speak through you what I want to say. 
So last week, um, God's word reminded us of what the life of Jesus looks like in us. As we begin to follow Jesus and allow him to have more and more of ourselves, what does it look like? And it's revealed in very, very practical ways, okay? Uh, The life of Jesus is revealed in our lives by how we treat strangers. It also shows up in our marriages, how we treat our spouse, the most important person that God has given to us. The life of Jesus shows up in our finances, And now this week, Jesus wants to remind us about discipleship, and particularly about leadership, and maybe a little bit about authority. He wants us to remember that we're followers of Jesus, and so we are men and women who live our lives under that authority, the authority of Jesus. But because Jesus himself was a man under authority, well, you and I have to figure out what that means. When it comes to authority, we just can't be singing John Cougar Mellencamp songs, okay? It just, it just doesn't work that way. So, so that's what God wants to teach us this week. That's what he wants to speak to us. Obey, submit to, have the proper attitude towards authorities. We simply cannot be people who do what is right in our own eyes. We all must collectively submit ourselves to an authority, As we look at Hebrews 13 then, I'm I'm not really going to follow it in a strictly linear fashion. I'm going to jump around just a little bit uh, because these these topical ideas. And and there's some things in here that, I, I, like I said, I just don't have time to hit this week. But what, what, what Jesus wants to say to you this week is that your faith in him always results in a better leadership. A better leadership. So let's let's take a look. Starting with verse 7. Remember your leaders. Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't even help those who follow them. We're going to jump down to verse 17 now. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Verse 18. And pray for us. For our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. Especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. You see, the relationship that a follower of Jesus has to authority in general is actually pretty simple. We obey our authorities. We obey our leaders unless they give us a command that directly violates Scripture, that directly violates God's command to us. We obey their commands. We obey the RCMP. We obey local laws. We obey our government authorities. Right now, We have had some difficult instructions from our government about social distancing and mass gatherings, and that's impacted us as a church pretty significantly. This week, the government rules for phase three came out starting June 8th, and churches as a whole and church leaders were actually pretty disappointed. The rules are pretty strict, and it does mean that we're probably not going to be able to meet together in a church on a Sunday morning uh, for a while yet. And yet, 
we need to obey those directives. We need to have that attitude of submission and obedience to our government authorities. Now, at some point, we may need to prayerfully and carefully and submissively look at God's word and his instructions to us in Hebrews 10.25 that say, let us not forsake meeting together. And we may need to ask ourselves, what does that look like? But even as we're doing that, we're doing that with an attitude of submission towards our authorities. We're working with and obeying our secular authorities. And that's actually not what this passage is specifically talking about. This passage is actually just a little bit narrower than that. Verse 7 says, your leaders who taught you the word of God. Verse 17 says, your spiritual leaders. Obey your spiritual leaders and follow them. This week, the elder team Bridgeway Community Church met. Chad Martins, Scott Dirksen, Julie Chikoski by phone, Jordy Braun, Ryan Weeb. It was the first time that we'd met in person since this whole uh, pandemic began. It was fun and it was a blessing. And we closed our meeting with this passage of scripture, Hebrews 13, verse 17. This was the passage of scripture that we read to ourselves. But you know what? Your elders, as they were studying this scripture, they were not talking about, okay, how do we get the church to obey us? How do we assert our authority over the church? No, that wasn't even on their radar. They didn't even hardly notice it. What they noticed instead, the space that they were in as your elders, where they were looking at this and saying, our job is to care for the souls of our congregation. And we're going to be held accountable to God for how well we do that. It was a sober time, but it was also a time of blessing. We recognize we cannot possibly lead the church unless we ourselves are following Jesus. And it was just such a great way to, to see the elders of the church really looking at how to serve you in love. That's what they want to do. They want to serve you in love. And if your elders, your spiritual leaders are serving you in love, doesn't it make them so much easier to submit to? Now Hebrews 13 gives three ways that we can submit to our spiritual leaders. Verse 7 through 9 encourages us simply to remember them, to think of them, to bring them to our memories, to, to remember them with, with thanksgiving, to love them and to consider the example that they've set for us. Verse 17 says, we need to obey them. We need to have an attitude of submission towards them. We defer to them. We follow them. As lead pastor, I think you need to know that I am not the highest authority at Bridgeway Community Church. I simply am not. The elder team is. And so like you, I look to the elder team and I submit myself to them. I bring my own actions, my own thoughts, the own directions, the own things that I'm trying to do. I bring that all in conformity and under their spiritual leadership, under their direction. Like you, I need to submit to my spiritual leaders, the leadership at Bridgeway Community Church. We have pretty good elders here at Bridgeway. Let's remember them. And, and can I point out verse 24 and apply it here as well? That the writer is, is sending specific greetings to the leaders and to all the other believers. 
And we need to greet our spiritual leaders warmly. We need to give them special encouragement, extra prayer, and more deliberate remembrance. You see, the thing of it is, is the enemy knows that if he strikes the shepherd, then the flock scatters. He knows that. He knows that if he hits a leader and gets a leader to stumble, then more of us will be affected. And so your leaders are actually under more spiritual attack than you are. So pray for them. And when they step to the forefront of the battle lines, like, don't shoot them in the back, okay? Love them, encourage them, and pray for them. Your spiritual leaders need you as much as you need them. Remember them, obey them, and greet them. In Christ, we have a better leadership. First lesson, then, is that we need to learn to submit to spiritual leadership. Second lesson is that Really, that call to be a leader is a call that God has placed on all of us. We need to participate in spiritual leadership. Look at verse 10 through 16. It says, verse 10, we have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. Verse 12, so also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his own people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. Verse 14, for this world is not our permanent home. Underline that. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Verse 16, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Man, this passage is just so full of great stuff. It's just so chock full of all this teaching. The the heart of, of, of these paragraphs really is the idea that dead religion is ultimately just dead religion. It has no life. It has no value. We don't have a dead religion. We serve a living Savior. We follow a living Jesus. And the writer throughout this book of Hebrews has systematically dismantled and eviscerated all the elements of a religious Judaism that does not recognize Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and Messiah. Now let me say that clearly Because the faith that God instituted in him in Old Testament times, it was always supposed to lead up to and point people and find its culmination in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what it was supposed to do. And in Hebrews 11, we saw that for some people, it did that. But for a lot of people, what they did instead was they turned it into outward show, into religious piety, empty rituals, lists of rules, ways to accrue and hold on to power for themselves, ways to prove that I am better than you because I follow the rules better than you. And I say to you, it's all garbage. What matters is not the religion you practice, but the Jesus that you love. And by the way, that's not just Judaism, that's true of Christianity as well, right? I mean, we know some Christian churches. We know some Christians. Some of us have been guilty of turning this living faith in a risen Savior into an empty religion of tradition and ritual, a form of godliness without any power. 
you know, I, I wonder if that's maybe why God actually took away our Sunday gatherings for a little while during this whole COVID thing. I wonder. I wonder if it's because what God originally gave us as a good thing, assembling together to worship him, to sing to each other, to encourage one another, to just uh, feed off of each other's faith. And instead what we did is we turned that into an idol. And it's like Sunday morning from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock is, is the special spiritual hour. And it doesn't matter what you do with the rest of your week as long as you're here and you look nice and your kids are washed behind their ears and sitting in the pews nicely, not misbehaving like kids do. And we, we, I think in some ways that God just kind of said to us, look, I'm going to take that away from you for a while because here's the truth. You cannot go to church until you first learn to be the church. I think that's one of the lessons that God is teaching his people right now through this pandemic. You can't go to church until you first learn to be the church. What matters is not the religion you practice, but the Jesus that you love. And the reality is when you really start to love this Jesus, you start to understand that the call to leadership is a call that he extends to all of us. All of us are leaders in some form or another. We all have people in our lives that we influence. Are you a counselor? Are you a coach? Are you a teacher? Do you have co-workers where you work? Do you have neighbors where you live? All of us have people that we influence. All of us have people who we exert leadership over. We may not be elders in a church or pastors or ministry team leaders, but all of us are leaders. So let's not lead other people to empty, dead, checklist religion. Let's lead them to Jesus. Let's use whatever influence we have in this life to just brag about our Jesus and to lead other people to him. Don't make carbon copies of yourself. Let's make followers of Jesus who love him and experience his grace and offer his grace to other people. Let's be the kind of leaders who lead others to Jesus. And that's point number three. We need to all live under the spiritual leadership of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace, peace, I love that word, shalom, wholeness, one of my favorite Bible verses is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has put eternity in our hearts. Like you and I have this incredibly large vacuum inside of us, a, a hole in our heart, a hole in our lives. And no matter what we try and cram into it, we are insatiable. And that's why no matter how much junk you try and stuff in, how much sex you try and stuff in, no matter how much money you try and stuff in, no matter how successful and success you try and stuff in, none of that will fill that gaping void. At night, when it is dark and when it is quiet, you are left wrestling with you. You have eternity in your heart. And the only thing that will fill that is an eternal God. Maybe that scares you. You know this world is not enough. And that scares you. Because you've been created with eternity in your heart. And only a God of peace can fix that. Let's read the rest of verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with everything you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Okay, so I think this is what you need to see this week. I, I think this is really where, where Jesus has been leading and it's, it's that word pleasing to him. I think this is the message that, that he really wants to stamp deeply on your heart. I think this is the truth that God wants you to hear. Jesus is equipping you to do his will. Jesus is working in you things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is not simply just pleased with the final product that you may one day become. Jesus is pleased with you right now. He's pleased with your progress. He's pleased with the process. He's not just about the destination that you and I are heading towards. He's about the progress. He's about the journey. He's about the pathway. You see, the greatest news that you need to hear right now in the middle of all of your struggle, in the middle of all your doubt, in the middle of that besetting sin that you're fighting so hard to overcome, the greatest news that you need to hear is that Jesus is pleased with you. He believes in you. All your struggling, stumbling, second guessing, all your confusion, all your anxiety, all your trying to figure all of this out. And God is going, man, I, I love this part. I love this part, this, this aching confusion. I love these choices. I love this pathway. I love your becoming. I love this part. See, Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are God's workmanship. We are his poema, his poem. He's, he's the artist, right? He, he's, he's the Monet who looks at the blank canvas of your life and he already sees the masterpiece that he's creating before he's added one dab of paint to that blank canvas. Okay? He's the Da Vinci who is looking at the block of granite that is you and he already sees the forms within that block of granite long before he ever takes hammer and chisel and starts to chip away at you. He already sees where you're going and what you're becoming. He is like the Mozart sitting down at the piano. Okay, harpsichord probably. And he already hears the symphony in his own mind. He is already dancing to the music that he is writing in your life. He loves your becoming. He loves you right where you're at and right where you're going. You are not a disappointment. To Jesus. You're not. I mean, he's so happy with the beginning of the work in your life. That moment when you recognized him as Lord and Savior. That moment when you recognized that you had this whole load of sin that you could do nothing with except bring it to him. And he took all of it and he forgave it. He loves that part of your life. He loves the salvation moment. That moment. He loves that. 
And, and he loves the ending part of your life, the end of the beginning, right? When he returns or calls you home and, and you're finished, you're complete in him and you're perfected in him. That moment when he cracks the sky open and he returns for his bride and you are part of that and all of us together, we step into his glory. We become who we are created to be, the eternally pure children of light who worship him forever. We become glorified in an instant and Jesus loves that part. He loves your beginning, your salvation. He loves your ending, your glorification. But guess what? He loves all of these moments in between too. He loves your sanctification. He loves the person that you are becoming. And he loves the fact that he's, he's working in you. This part right now, this part of your life that you hate, this struggle to do what's right and, and, and instead to, to do what's wrong, this Romans 7 frustration in your life, this lack of understanding of what he's up to that's driving you crazy, this absolute dog's breakfast of your life that you don't even see him in right now, this fight, this constant battle with demons and black dogs, this beautiful mess that is your life, he loves this part of you too. He loves your sanctification. You are not a disappointment to him. And so I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, pay attention to what I've written in this brief exhortation. Because I want you to know that our brother Timothy's been released from jail. And if he comes here soon, I'll bring him with me to see you. Verse 24, greet all the leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send their greetings to you. May God's grace be with you all. May God's grace be with you all. We're finished with this magnificent book of Hebrews. We've spent five months looking at this marvelous Jesus. And I hope that through this journey, you have seen Jesus in new ways, that his glory and his majesty are shining through with new facets in your life, and that you are slowly allowing the paint to dry until the next color gets applied. You're allowing the granite to be chipped away, maybe carting away some of the rubble, cleaning up a little bit. You're allowing the discordant notes that don't fit the symphony, you're allowing those to be tuned to his perfect pitch. And in those parts of your life that are still a mess, I hope you know his grace. Because your strength comes from his grace. Now since we're finishing up this series Jesus is better. I asked Pastor Darren if rather than him coming to pronounce a benediction as he usually does, if I could just pray a prayer over you instead of our usual benediction, just as a way to wrap up the series. So wherever you are right now, as you're listening to this, just close your eyes. Let the grace of God wash over you in these words. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I believe your promises. I believe your forgiveness. I believe your son, Jesus. I believe that I am a sinner, lost and helpless. And in spite of that, I believe that you love me. 
You came to this earth for me. I, I believe that you died for me and you rose for me. I believe that you opened up my eyes to your grace. You pardoned me and you gave me new life. I believe that you are making me perfect. I believe in your promises, even in the struggles. I believe in the life to come, eternity and glory. I believe that you will complete the work you started in me. I believe that you are making me beautiful in your time. And I believe that you are here now in my life at this moment. I believe that you are present in my fightings and in my fears. I believe that you are the peace when I am tossed about. I believe that you are here in my conflicts, that you are here in my doubts. I believe that you are here in the unfinished mess of my life, the masterpiece in the making. Jesus, keep me in your grace. Keep me in a place where I can see that you are better than anything this world offers. Loosen my grip on things that do not matter and help me to walk in your grace. Jesus, you truly are better. Thank you for that reminder through the book of Hebrews. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Hebrews asks, how do you stand firm in a world that is shaking? And the answer is this. Know the superior one, Jesus Christ. Know him and build your life upon him. He truly is better. May the spirit of God illuminate the son of God to the glory of God in your life. May the book of Hebrews continue to encourage and inspire you from this day forward. May God's grace be with you all. Have a great week.